0: Mid-sermon, he's preaching, I'm sitting on the side, kind of in the corner, and he points me out, walks down off the pulpit, and says, what God told me to tell you is to stay focused on me. Don't worry about that other stuff. Don't worry, because when God created you, he put gifts and talents in you. And you've got a lot of stuff working in there that nobody knows about. God said the reason I put that in you was so I could use that for my glory one day.
1: Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Tuesday where you're going to hear a powerful testimony of God's grace revealed in human lives. Each Tuesday, you'll hear Pastor Adam interviewing pastors from around the world to share the mighty miracles that God has done in their lives to give you hope for yours. We share the stories of the men behind the messages you hear every other day on this podcast. Keep in mind that the free version only includes a portion of the whole testimony interview. To listen to the full version, Use the links in the show notes to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Supercast.tech. Every dollar goes to supporting world evangelism. Enjoy today's Testimony Tuesday.
2: Well, hello and welcome back to the VBPH Sermon Podcast. You have found us here on Testimony Tuesday. Once again, this is Pastor Adam with you, and I am very pleased to be joined by another pastor on the line who has uh, agreed to have an interview Uh, For your personal edification, and we are excited to get encouraged today by a powerful testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in the life of one of our CFM pastors. And uh, I'm very excited to introduce you to Pastor Mark Sperling. Uh, Welcome to the show, sir.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Yes, and uh, I appreciate you uh, putting up with some technical difficulties to get this connection working, so thank you for spending some time with us today.
0: You're so welcome.
2: <laughs> well, Pastor Mark, uh, first what I would like for you to do is just introduce yourself uh, to somebody that doesn't know you, and if you wouldn't mind, take take a few minutes to give a, give us a conference-style report of what God has been doing there where you're pastoring.
0: Okay, uh, my name is, as you well know, Mark Sperling. My wife, Sonia, and I have been pastoring in Crown Point for seven years as of this last May. And we have seen, uh, many lives changed, uh, currently running about 22 people. Uh, prior to COVID, we were up around 35. And, uh, COVID really hit the reservations very, very hard, as you probably well know. And, uh, we actually lost some people to COVID. Uh, they died because of it. And, uh, but the people that we have are very good. We're, we're, uh, very uh, good, a good core unit of people. And we just were in revival with Scott Schnellen out of Oklahoma City and we saw uh, many visitors and we saw a lot of people uh getting words of knowledge and uh it was a wonderful thing couple healings uh lady had a uh, fracture in her arm had a a uh, support on it and was able to take that off and use her hand and it was a, it's a really awesome time uh evangelist Scott and good man and uh yeah, so we're we're a we're doing what we can out there. Uh, the reservation still is is still pretty squeamish on door-to-door activity. Uh, there's still many signs up saying, um, please don't come to our yard and don't come to our door, uh, things like that. They're still very afraid of the COVID because a lot of people died out there on the res. It, I don't know if you know Pastor Aragon or not, but he probably did, I think, upwards of 180 funerals during this time so uh i think i've done five now Uh, so it's uh yeah it's a real thing and but god's on the throne god is moving supernaturally on our behalf we had an outreach on saturday this past saturday before the revival and uh, saw a lot of visitors show up probably about uh, 40 or so visitors and uh many of those people ended up coming to the revival and it was a very good time
2: Well, that's fantastic to hear. So um, for those who are not familiar with Crown Point, New Mexico, can you kind of locate that uh, on a map in our mind and and tell us a little bit about that place?
0: Okay. We are on the western edge of uh, New Mexico, and it is a small reservation town. Uh, The Navajo people there, Uh, they call it checkerboard, meaning that there are some places there that, aren't uh reservation but for the most part it's all reservation around there and we are about um 45 minutes north and a little bit east of Gallup New Mexico and about an hour south of Farmington if that helps at all
2: <laughs> okay great and well yeah so people should be familiar with Gallup no doubt because that was uh just just learned in the video series that pastor Greg Mitchell has been doing about memorial stones. Uh, They they talked about how they launched the the first church outside of Arizona, which was in Gallup, uh, many years. I think they said 1985. So, um, how long have we had a church there in Crown Point?
0: For seven years, we we pioneered. pioneered My wife and I. Yes, we pioneered it.
2: So, can you Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit more about the decision to to pioneer on the reservation?
0: Well, it was during a Gallup conference and uh I had been pestering my pastor about going out. I had been discipling for uh about six years and uh I think he was still kind of skeptical about sending an old an old burned out biker out there, but uh he uh pastor Jonathan Heinberg was uh pastoring there at, he was the leader there in Gallup at the time. He's now gone down to South Africa. I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, But he kind of uh, pushed it. Uh, Crown Point was on his heart, on Pastor uh, Heimberg's heart. And so he asked my pastor if there was anybody that he was ready to send. And uh, so they asked me, and uh, I said, well, let let me talk to my wife. And that night I said, sure, we'll go. And uh, I didn't. I wasn't even sure where Crown Point was at the time. Uh, I had driven past it going to Farmington once or twice, but I didn't really know anything about the city. And I think we did an outreach there once too. But I really, it was just kind of. Uh, you know, this is my opportunity to uh, become a pastor and start ministering, and and uh, I jumped on it. It's been what I've been praying for and what I've been hoping for. So. Uh, the the opportunity was given to me, and I snatched it up.
2: Well, that's incredible. So I normally will ask these kinds of questions a little bit later on, but uh, since I'm curious now, I would love to hear a little bit about you and and your decision to to do that, to step out in faith and uh, at the guidance of your pastor. May may I ask how old you are?
0: I'm uh, 66 years old. I was 53 when I got saved
2: you were 53 when you got saved and yep. uh so that means you were you were there in the church for about 6 years if my math is correct yep and then got launched out at 59 okay yep. well i can't i can't wait to hear the story
0: <laughs> so
2: uh pastor maybe you can take us back to um your your childhood and your family life how how did you grow up how and where
0: well, I was uh, born in Los Angeles, California, and uh, my my uh, mother was a Mormon, and my uh, stepfather, who was the only man I knew as a father, uh, his name was Ray Sperling. He was a seven-day Adventist. So it was a pretty confusing upbringing uh, early on, and uh, so I, I kind of had a little knowledge of God. Uh, but, uh, you know, head knowledge. And uh, what happened, I was, I'm was i number four out of five children. And I have an older brother, two older sisters, and a younger sister. And uh, when I was about 10 years old, we were living in Canyon Country, California. And uh, it used to be called Saugus Newhall, but now they call it Canyon Country. Uh, people will probably be familiar with that. Um, and, uh, it was on new year's Eve and my father didn't drink or smoke or anything like that, but he loved to go, uh, four wheeling in his Jeep and, uh, he was a machinist. And so he, he had, he had customized this Nissan patrol to this, uh, really, uh, awesome off-road vehicle and he loved it. And his brother was in town and, uh, they wanted to go for a Jeep ride. And I wanted to go, and my father said, no, you need to stay here with your mom. I just – your Uncle Bob and I are going. And uh, he went out, and that was the last time I seen him. He died. Mm. He rolled the Jeep that day. His brother was thrown clear, and he died that day. And uh, I was 10 years old. And uh, from that point on, uh, my life was thrown into turmoil uh, beyond what, what most people can comprehend, um, there was a lot of, uh, how can I say, uh, infidelity in the household. My mother began to go out and and uh, look for uh, another supporter, I guess you could say. I didn't understand it all at the time. I, I kind of have a better understanding of it now. You know, she was trying to do the best she could for her children. We became latchkey children. Um, You know, my mom was working two jobs and uh, at the same time, uh, you know, trying to find a husband, I guess, and ended up marrying this guy named Joe Rice, and uh, he was much younger than she was, but he was pretty wealthy, and uh, so it was, uh, I I guess, uh, what she was looking for, I don't know, and then um, just a few years later, I think I was 16 years old and uh, Joe committed suicide in our garage. Oh my Lord. Yeah, shot himself in the head uh, with a small caliber pistol and um, my mother came and woke me up and I was sleeping on the couch in the living room and this was like probably 5.30 in the morning, six o'clock in the morning. My mother came in and woke me up and said, I think Joe just shot himself. And I went out in the garage to find him leaning up against the wall Fluttering like a fish on the fishing deck, he was just kind of wobbling there, and and eventually fell to the floor. We called, you know, 911. Uh, actually, at, at that time, it was just called the fire department, and they came and and uh, yeah, and that was and he he passed on at that time. And so um, I was already into drinking and and uh, smoking weed. Uh, Can
2: can you, uh, can you locate us in time? How how old? So you were 16 when this happened and what was the year?
0: Um, So that would have been, uh, let me see, 67 and six would be about 73, 1973. So I was in high school. Okay. And uh, already, like I said, already drinking and, and, uh, and uh, smoking weed and, hadn't, hadn't really done any really big drugs yet. Uh, but I was, well, I was on my way. <laughs> uh, everything, so then, everything around in your it was, hometown
2: in California.
0: Uh, yeah. In, in Canyon country, still living there. It still with my mom, still living in, in that same house with my mom, but it became like a, a party house. Um, my, I even, I even smoked weed with my mom and, and drank with her and, and, uh, i i'm a am ai was a big kid uh, i'm still i'm still a big kid <laughs> um i'm six four about two fifty uh at the time i uh, i was six four about two hundred and uh liked to party i liked to fight and so those are you know obviously not good combinations and uh so it led me down a path that that was really um a pretty pretty bumpy road
2: Mm-hmm. Um so I'm curious you you mentioned that your mom uh came from a Mormon background and your father before he died from Seventh Day Adventist. Did you have any um do you have any memories of um religious background or, or history that stands out in your mind? Do you, do you remember having any uh any miracles or or experiences of God or or anything like that?
0: The one thing that I can tell you is that, um, I, I prayed and, um, it was kind of a selfish prayer at the time, but I believe God honored it. And, um, you're, is I, I you know, I've never told anybody this. I, I don't even think my wife knows, but anyways, um, wow, it's exclusive
2: it's, to the the, the Testimony Tuesday <laughs> podcast. All right.
0: Yeah. Um, I was, uh, I want to say, was maybe twelve or thirteen years old, and I was. And we had a two-story house, and I was in the upstairs. And I, I just, I prayed. I said, "That God, I don't ever want to have children because of the pain that I'm going through, and I don't want to ever have to put anybody through that pain." And I just remember. Man, just remembering this is kind of caught me off guard there. Um, I prayed that prayer, and uh, to this day, I don't have any children. Wow. Yeah, and not for lack of trying.
2: (laughs) Right, right.
0: (laughs) So that would be the only supernatural thing that that I, I I could even put my finger on.
2: Okay. And and do do you think that you you came away with that or came away from that experience um, being closer or further away from God?
0: Well, I think I'd always had a a kind of a relationship with God with kind of like what they call head knowledge, you know, I I knew who Jesus was because okay. uh, you know, I I went to church and and uh as i As I grew up, uh, I was in and out of different churches and different kinds of religion and uh unity and and the vineyard church out there in california and and uh you know even did a little bit of the Mormon church but when I was in junior high school we we did a thing called the Agape. I don't know that was old school I guess that was right around the Jesus people movement. Uh but uh so I had I had a little bit of background, I guess you could say, but I just I never really I never really got saved. I never really took that step and and the the difference that like I talk to people all the time now, is the difference between being saved and not being saved is what you believe in your heart, not in your head. And uh I, I came to that place where uh I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And that's when I was converted.
2: Wow. So, uh, but but that didn't come till much later. So I'm curious. Much you said later. You, you you started down a path that uh, had some bad consequences. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about where this lifestyle was leading you?
0: Okay. So, um, he, uh, as a, as I was getting out of high school, I w- had been dating this girl, and uh, we got married and uh, we were living in in uh, Van Nuys, california which is in southern california and uh, she was working at a, a uh, an office building type of deal she was like a secretary and i was a machinist at the time and my life wasn't really jacked up too bad i was just drinking and smoking weed and you know i wasn't really i, I, I kind of settled down And then um, she got this big, giant promotion. Back in the day, it was uh, uh, middle 70s. I want to say 78 maybe. Uh, She got this major promotion. It was going to be $54,000 a year more per year. Uh, So, yeah, back that was huge, huge, huge. So we moved to Wichita Falls, Texas, so she could fulfill that. And I figured I could get a job as a machinist there. And I did. But it was shortly after that that uh, we ended up moving again down to Waxahachie, Texas. And when we did, she started, I guess, uh, losing I, – I, I don't know how it happens, but people fall out of love, I guess. And she was falling out of love with me. And I came home one day to this beautiful split-level home that we had been living in. And there was a note on the table said, I'm not going to be coming back. Um, I'm going to go stay with my mom. And uh, it was devastating to me because she was my high school sweetheart. Yeah. And so uh, the next day I went to work, and it happened to be a Friday, and a payday Friday. And so I got uh, a case of beer, and a friend of mine, Uh, We went out and drank it all and and went and got more, and uh, on my way home, I decided I was going to kill myself because of the devastation, everything that had happened in my life up to this point. How uh, old
2: were you at this point, and how long had you been married?
0: um, I was uh, 26, I believe, 26, 27, and we had been married for about six years, because I got married. I think I was
2: married. That's not I think that we got married a significant amount through. of time.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you, you had um, history together. Absolutely, all through high school and everything. So, um, yeah, it was devastating to me. Uh, I was broken and uh, was coming home. And Waxahachie, Texas, is a suburb of Dallas. And around Dallas, there's a thing called the Beltway, and for the Beltway, there's all these off-ramps that go to all these little suburbs around Dallas. And they're big, high, uh, sweeping, uh, arching corners, probably, you know, 100 feet above the the uh, actual Beltway freeway. And I was in my uh, little Ranger pickup, and I had my foot right on the floorboard as hard as I could go. It was doing about 100 miles an hour going into that. Uh, 40 mile an hour corner and uh, God spoke to me it was the first time I remember ever hearing the voice of God uh, or an angel I'm not for sure but the, the, the voice said to me she's not worth it I have something for you and at that instant I let off the gas and I coasted down the hill on the other side I went back to that beautiful split level home and, and laid in the fetal position and cried and cried and cried. And, uh, eventually, uh, we did sell the house. She moved down to Austin, got remarried, and I was off again, uh, traveling and, and running, running crazy back and forth across the country.
1: So from there,
0: from there, I went to uh, North Carolina and uh started uh fishing for a living i had a friend that i grew up in high school and uh he bought a boat right out of high school when he went back to north carolina and it was called the salty dog and i went back and and became the first mate and i fished on that boat for a few years this was like uh early 80s and uh so I started tending bar at night and fishing during the day, and fulfilling my romantic desires and every chance I could get. So my life was just unraveling, little at a time. Uh, I was drinking more, uh, doing you know doing uh, speed a little bit, and uh, started getting uh, hooked up with some cocaine and stuff like that. And uh, really started getting ugly. Um, I was—I guess you could call me at that time a functioning drug addict alcoholic, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if that's possible.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm curious if you still had connections with your family at this point—your mother and uh, your your siblings.
0: Um, very little, very little. I, I contact my mom once or twice a year. Uh, she was uh, now living in Palmdale, California. She had remarried again. And uh, so, yeah, it was, It was, you know, I was just kind of, I was trying to, I, I believe in my heart I was trying to be a man by doing, you know, because uh, I, I felt like in my relationship with my wife that I had somehow, she had somehow castrated me. If you understand what I'm saying, I just felt I felt so abandoned by everything that had happened. And uh, you know, when you're when you're 20 years old, you think you got the world ahead of you. And uh, we, I, I felt like we had everything, you know. And uh, so I was trying to fulfill something in me that could never be fulfilled by any type of uh, fleshly desire or, or, or achievement. And I, I didn't realize that until I got saved, of course, uh, you know, some years later. But yeah, yeah. It, was, it was, it was pretty, pretty gnarly time in my life. Uh, I just remember, uh, always drinking and, and, uh, and that was, you know, it was, it was pretty crazy.
2: Did you manage to stay out of trouble with the law?
0: Yes. Believe it or not, <laughs> I only only spent uh, two nights in jail, and that was when I was uh, just a, I was a teenager. I was like seventeen years old. Me and some buddies were out smoking weed, and and uh, we got arrested. But I was a minor, oh. so they just let yeah. me out.
2: So as bad as it was, it could have been much worse, is what I'm hearing.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> See, the the thing about it, and I I want to share some stuff with you as we get down the road I, when like when I got saved and the word of knowledge that was given to me. And, uh, but I, I just, I don't want to, I know we're, we're kind of limited on our time and I, I don't know how long I've even been talking. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, well, my, my line is if you keep talking, topi- talking, I'm going to let you.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> so while in North Carolina, um, this girl, I met this girl, and uh, she was somebody that I knew from my childhood. And uh, it was a um, a relation to the person, Mike Helms was this guy's name, who, who I went back to work with. And uh, it was um, his wife's cousin, okay? So I hooked up with this chick. Her name was Laura. She became my drinking buddy. Mm-hmm. and in that um we ended up getting married and she had a little girl named Krista and uh so we got married and it was really really rocky because you base a relationship on alcohol it's not not going to be too fruitful but i ended up adopting her daughter do you remember what i told you earlier about not having any children right so Um, I, that was something that I was starting to desire. I was in my early thirties at this point. And, uh, so I adopted her and, uh, things happened and, and I was working with her father. I was doing land surveying and, uh, there, there was a big, uh, depressionary time. If you remember the middle 80s, uh, I don't want to, you know, I don't know how old you are, but. There was a, a little bit of a depression time there, and um, so I we moved to California, and six months after living in California, she left me and went back to Missouri, which, which was where she had lived originally, and filed for divorce. And, uh, I mean, it, you're talking alcoholics, you know, both of us, and so there was never any good ground to stand on. And the only good thing out of it was that I adopted her daughter and gave her a name. And uh, Krista grew up to be a, a, a good adult. And even though I don't have any kind of relationship with her now because she doesn't want me to, because of my Christianity, um, oh, wow. she's yeah, she's uh, in the military. Last I heard, she was in the Air Force uh, out of Colorado Springs. And um, so that was my second divorce. So this leads me back. I'm in California again. And, uh, so my brother has a, a little business, a window tinning business. So I start working for him and, uh, I'm going to the gym because I always was kind of physically fit. I love playing softball and stuff like that. Uh, and so, uh, I met this woman in the gym. She's a biker chick. And uh, I was just infatuated with her, and she started being nice to me, and started we started having little conversations here and there at the gym, and then I asked her out, and then I, she told me on our first date she says, I will I won't date you more than once if you don't have a Harley. <laughs> um, okay. Serious. Let's see what we can do about this. <laughs> so I went out and did everything in my power and took out some loans and went out and, and bought a uh, 86 soft tail. And my biker days begun. And,
2: uh, <laughs> well, she, she gave you a purpose.
0: <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> Motivation. <laughs> yeah. So that's where, that's where life really gets crazy. Um, So
2: everything up to now was not crazy.
0: Not in comparison. No. (laughs) All right. So we hook up and we're having, you know, having a little affair. We're not married or nothing. I'm at her house once in a while and she's over at my place once in a while. And, uh, so we decide we're going to go ahead and shack up together. And, uh, so when we did that, I started, uh, repping for what is called the Modified Motorcycle Association. And this is a, uh, like a, uh, club thing, not like the Hells Angels or anything like that. It was more of a, uh, like a social club. And I became the manager of this. Uh, District D, which is in San Diego, we ended up moving from Palmdale area down to San Diego, and this is when I got hooked up with the Hell's Angels and uh, started doing methamphetamine, started um, slinging methamphetamine, and uh, life just was going. Uh, I was doing 100 miles an hour all the time. And I had a job as a uh, land surveyor. I went back to land surveying and uh, we went to a bike run with uh, a couple of the notable clubs down there, the Silver Eagles and the uh, Solo Angels out of Tijuana. And uh, we went to this and it was a Pala Indian reservation and it was a big, a big to do, hundreds of bikers there. And But there was also other people camping there, and actually some people living in this campground. This one person that was living there was irritated by all the bikers, and he worked at the quarry that was right next door. So he went and got his 18-wheeler with the dump bed truck on the, uh, the trailer on the back and went through and rampaged through the campgrounds about 12 o'clock at night when everybody was just winding down. And as he's running through, running over camps, running over Harley's, running over people, uh, we hear this rattling, and and I uh, we're in the tent, and I come out, and and he's heading straight for our campground. Fortunately, there was a big old cottonwood tree right in the center of our campground, so he turned and just his tire, his front wheels of the of the sunlight literally rolled up onto the side of our tent and uh there, the back of the trailer went directly over another tent that was right across the road from where we were. And that man was killed in that incident. The trailer ran right over him. And I walked over there and lifted up the collapsed tent to see this man's crushed body there. Oh, and, my Lord. Yes. Um, and so it was uh it was insanity and that's the way everything was going at the time uh everything was just insanity everywhere and i wanted to get out of it so bad i wanted to get out of it so bad but i was so tied into everything there and uh so we were we used to have our mma meetings at this bar in in uh, lemon grove which is a little suburb out of outside of San Diego, and the the Hell's Angels, their clubhouse was right next door, and so they frequented the bar, and I we we became uh, pretty pretty tight, so much so that they would come to my house and and uh, we would do runs together, and when I say runs, I mean groups of motorcycles going out. Uh, you know, partying and and everything, just like the Paula incident. And um, so one one night we were having our meeting there at the bar, and uh, Dago Dave, who was the chapter president of the Hells Angels in San Diego, what they call the Dago Mob, uh, asked me to be a prospect. And uh, I really considered it. Um, Christy we'll with,
2: what that means I don't know what that means to be a prospect
0: a prospect means that you uh, you become like their how do I say lackey uh, you, you're it's kind of like a a uh, probationary period to become uh, a have a position on a job but this is uh, with all kinds of strings attached um, basically as a prospect, you don't own anything. Uh, you don't even own your wife, and uh, everything is shared. And they they could, if they want to, they can take your bike if you want, or you know, like I said, they can take whatever they feel like. And so uh, that night, I I, I told him, you know, I said I don't I don't think I can do that, and I explained him to it, just what I said I, to you what I right now. It's like I'm I'm not sharing my my wife with anybody. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let somebody else have my Harley. I have worked too hard for the stuff. I, and he and he said, you know what, Mark? And well, actually, he didn't call me Mark. My my road name was Hawk. He said, Hawk. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a six months pro, uh, prospect period. And it's usually a year. And it was very tempting. And Christy, my wife, the biker chick, was right there. And she's going, do it, do it, do it. And I'm like, no, I just, let me think about it. And uh, I didn't do it. And and praise God, I didn't do it. Because that would have probably been the end of me. But I believe that through all of this, because of the managerial uh, position of the MMA, um, managing people and (laughs) resources and different things like that, God was kind of using that, I think, to help me to become a pastor. I didn't know it at the time, obviously, but you have to have those those uh, abilities and resources to uh our, our uh um, yeah abilities to to run a a church you know so
2: oh yeah absolutely so so uh so you think that was a crossroads moment of your life, and uh somehow God spared you from going the wrong direction
0: yeah when when i share my when when I share the word of knowledge you're gonna it's all going to come screaming at you. Um, but let me let me let me get done with this chapter. Um, so I, I turned down the Hell's Angel thing, and and uh, we went on a vacation back to North Carolina to go on a fit, to go with my buddy on a fishing boat. She had never been there. Christy had never been there, and so we took a, a week and went back there, flew back there and had a great time while I was there. I was looking for work, and and I hooked up with this surveying company, and they offered me a position, and uh, I told them, I said, all i got to do is go home to California, get my stuff, and we're coming back. And so I moved back to North Carolina. During this time, I finally had gotten off meth. I I wasn't doing any more meth. I was still drinking, still smoking some weed. But I was, I wasn't, I wasn't doing any math. And the reason I wanted to get out of California, out of Southern California especially, was because of that. It was everywhere. Everywhere I went, somebody had it or I was buying it or I was selling it. So, uh, it was an escape. I I knew that if we could just get there, I could get my head about me again and, and maybe do something good. And so we did. We moved back there. Christy had three children. And, uh, so we, we moved back there and we're there for just a couple months. And all of a sudden she's acting like she's tweaking. And I'm like, are you tweaking? And she goes, no, 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 no. She's getting all paranoid and stuff. Come to find out that the people that we used to deal with in San Diego were sending her meth to North Carolina and because of that, it just our relationship exploded. And I mean it was nuclear. And uh it was uh uh hands and feet and and slapping and choking and grabbing and I mean and it was it was ugly. And was uh, was
2: she angry with you or you were angry with her or both?
0: Both. I said okay. you can't be doing this. You can't be bringing this stuff back into our life. We're just getting ourselves together here. And she's like, I'll do whatever the F I want to do. And she, she you know, was a biker chick, man. She had a party mouth, a, a potty mouth and, and a party attitude all the time. And, uh, so she, she threatened me with, that she was going to go out and, and, uh, I don't even know how to say it. It's too crude to say on this podcast. But she was going to go out and do something that was going to really make me mad. <laughs> and so I snatched her up off the floor, around her neck, and uh, slammed her up against the wall, just as violent as uh, as I could be. And uh, and then I snapped, and it's like, what am I doing? And I I let her go, and and uh, she's yelling at me and grabbing me and ripping me with her. With her fingernails, and I got big old scratches all over my my body. So I'm trying to get out of the house. The same time, the neighbors call the cops. So the cops show up, and she's totally belligerent. They she take him to jail, take him to jail. He's he's trying to choke me to death, and da 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 da. And then and the cop looks at me, and I'm scratched up from. You know, I had like a tank top on and I got big old scratches, bleeding scratches on both of my arms and us. It's like it's like <laughs> lady, looks like you've been abusing him and not the other way around. And so he finally allowed me to leave and that was pretty much the end of our relationship. I I got her back to to uh San Diego and uh ended up having to sell my Harley to afford to, to move back and uh and that was pretty much the end of our relationship uh we we kind of went hit and miss for a uh, few months after that but then i filed for divorce and and uh so third one in the barrel
2: wow that's quite yeah. a history we, so i just at this point i just want to remind our listeners that we're talking to a pastor <laughs> a man who stands behind a pulpit and preaches every Sunday and Wednesday follows up on people prays reads his bible <laughs> and so yes. I, I, that's why i love these testimonies because in the in the depth of a uh, a lifestyle like that god has he had you on a journey and he was taking you somewhere even through all of this insanity you ever reflect absolutely. on that
0: absolutely all the time all the time and actually um so this is where this is where my life took a turn i uh i was done with the biker stuff done with her and um still i, I went back to doing drugs though I, I was smoking meth again and uh back in california and uh it was at a graduation party for one of my nieces graduating high school, and uh, they're Hispanic. A lot of uh, a lot of my well, all three of my sisters married Mexican guys, so I, there's a lot of Hispanic uh, influences. So we were having a, a big old party, drinking, and uh, me and Pete, which was the uh, father of the girl who was graduating, were in the garage smoking meth, and uh, there was another graduation party going on around the corner. And uh, so these guys came over, trying to crash the party that we were at. And this house was set on a corner, and then the party they came from was at the cul-de-sac around the other side. So they came and tried to crash the party. Uh, one of my nephews, Matthew, was there. Our, our whole family was there. And uh, my mom was actually still alive. This was, uh, I believe, 2001 uh 2002 and uh so pete and i are in the in his little garage cubby thing smoking meth and uh this this ruckus is going on outside we don't know nothing about it because it's obviously this big party going on so my nephew chases this guy these three guys that came around the corner and there was like 25 other guys waiting right there they had baited him into this and they beat him down right there in the in the street corner. And um, my other nephew, Raymond, who was a little bit older, uh, he's the older of my nephews. Uh, he was, this guy's like local. He loved to fight. And it was kind of just, you know, part of the family tradition. And uh, so he, he goes out and he starts waylaying these guys about this time. My niece comes in and hey, there's a fight out there. Mondo's or, or uh, Matthews getting beat down, and or, and Raymond just gone out there. So we go running around the corner. I have nothing in my hand except for a Budweiser bottle, and I get around the corner just in time for this uh, suburban to go tearing down the street. Almost ran me over, and I go back up against this car, and and I'm looking, and my nephew's down at the corner of this cul-de-sac. And uh, he's got his hands outstretched, and and he's he's arguing with this guy, and then all of a sudden the suburban comes roaring back around the corner, and these three guys get out, and they walk down to where my nephew was, and a guy pulls out a pistol and shoots him in the chest, shoots my nephew Ray in the chest. Oh my and god! And he was like he was like maybe across the street from where I was standing. And all this is happening in a in a methed out mind. So I threw my bottle towards them, my Bud bottle, towards them, and started running after them. And the kid turned around. These this is you know high school kids or maybe just older than that. Turns around, pops around, and the round hits me in the forehead, in my wow. orbital bone. Bullet. bullet hit me right above my left eye. In the orbital bone, I think that's how you say it, orbital bone, the hardest wow. part of my skull, <laughs> I went down unconscious. And these guys, there was, I don't know, 50 or so at this point, And they all just started kicking me. I was unconscious. I don't remember any of this. I was told this afterwards. And my body was bruised from head to toe. Uh, when I woke up the next day, uh, my head was swallowed up like elephant man. They wanted to take me in the ambulance that night when they took my nephew Ray uh, But I wouldn't let him because I knew that I was high on meth and they would find that and then you know I, I was already calculating and all this stuff at the time. It was just a, a You know a big bloody wound on my eye so the next day is when I swelled up and and uh, So yeah, I, I should have died that night, a quarter inch, right or left, it's either in my eyeball or in my temple. So this
2: this bullet that hit you did not go through your skull; it just bounced it off. Bounced my...
0: off my it bounced off my eyebrow.
2: That is unbelievable. I've never heard of that ever.
0: The thing about it is, there's a dent there to this day in my so skull. I would imagine. Yeah, there's there's a dent right there, and when I give my testimony in, in live crowds, I let them feel it, because you can <laughs> see the scar. The scar kind of goes off my the corner of my eye, but the uh, the divot <laughs> where the bullet hit me is still. You can feel it, it's a dent in my in my brow right there.
2: Oh my gosh! So yeah, a bullet so, bounces off your your orbital bone. You get yep. beat nearly to death. Yep. So so this is, this means some recovery time.
0: Absolutely, yeah. and court, and uh, uh, charges against the guy who was the shooter, and uh, he he ended up getting away scot free, and uh, and I just I I had to I had to get away from it, and I didn't know anything else to do, so I I, uh, I started. I started traveling and, um, well, I left out a part about my blowing out my back. But, uh, when, when I was with, uh, Christy when we were living in Palmdale, uh, I blew out my back and I had to have two screws put in my spine. So I, I was, yeah, kind of, uh, um, and that, kind of doesn't really fit into the whole, uh, time frame that we're going through. This was before, um, before we, I I came back to San Diego. Okay. So, um, I had gone through rehab and stuff. And one of the things that I uh, picked up was disc golf. I don't know if you know anything about disc golf. It's frisbee golf. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, uh, having a background and I, I, like I said before, I like playing sports, always been uh, athletic and, uh, and so I started playing disc golf in my rehab because the walking was good and a limited amount of twisting in my lower back and and uh so that was right about the time I ended up getting divorced from her and I moved to Lake Tahoe and that's where I picked up the game in Lake Tahoe and my physical therapist actually suggested uh if it if it's if it doesn't hurt you, do it. It's okay, especially if you're walking. So I did that. And so I, I, I was disc golfing. So I decided to go on a little tour. I was just an amateur. And so I started touring around and, and, uh, my mom died in 2005. And, uh, and I think it was late 2006, I had a little bit of a inheritance. So I bought an RV, uh, an old beat up RV, uh, it ran pretty good and it got me around and, and i was going uh to new mexico and uh was actually heading to amarillo to play in a tournament and uh this friend of mine uh justin who i had met uh a few years prior lived here in new mexico and uh he was a he was a stoner buddy and so i stopped by in new mexico to get some weed Cause he said he could get me some good weed. So he, he, get, he got me my weed and, and I ended up coming back and kind of hanging out at his place. And, and then I was headed to another tournament in Las Vegas, Nevada uh, in my RV. And, uh, just after I crossed into Arizona from New Mexico, the transmission in my RV blew up. Oh man. Yeah. So they towed me back. I, I I get a tow truck, and you know, 24 hours later, I'm back in in uh, in the Blue Spruce RV park is where I was living. And uh, so there I sat, and uh, had a little Jeep, a uh, little Cherokee that I drove around, and uh, got my dope from Justin, and and I was just sitting by the highway watching life go by. Uh, I was uh, you know collecting a disability check from my Back injury, uh, long-term disability uh, and um, so Justin meets this girl named Victoria and uh, he starts he's getting hot on her and and uh, but he's still we're still partying and stuff riding four- wheelers and so I hadn't heard him from him for a little while and he was supposed to bring me a bag of weed. And he comes to my house, to my RV, and knocks on the side of the RV. And it's like, oh, man, here comes my weed. I've been <laughs> jonesing, man, smoking roaches. And uh so I opened the door. Hey, buddy, Justin, come on in. Break out the good weed, man. And he said, bro, I ain't got no weed. He's like, what? What do you mean you don't got no weed? I said, yeah, man, uh. This past week, I was in Gallup at a conference, and I gave my life to Jesus. Oh, my God! That had to be a shock. I was like, what? What are you talking about? Gave your life to Jesus. And I started mocking him, and and, and I'm like, he goes, "You you need to come to this revival that's coming up in just a few weeks. You need to come to this revival. I was like, dude. I was raised in church. My mom was a, my, a Mormon, and my father was a seven-day Adventist. I've heard more sermons than you can throw a aside, and I'm just railing on him. But he kept coming by, and he kept coming by, and he kept on pestering me, and he kept on pestering me. Come to the revival, man. Come to the revival. I said, Dude, I don't want to go to no revival. So he says, but it's different, man. I'm telling you, it's different. I I know about religion. This is different. And I'm like, whatever. And so he gives me a CD. And the words that I said to him, I've heard almost every sermon that can be preached. And he gives me this CD and he says, listen to this. Aaron Saavedra. I don't know if you know Aaron or not. I do. Okay. It was one of his, from one of his, uh, I think it might have even been from the Gallup conference that he, uh, Justin got saved at. And in that very sermon, he said, I know there's people out there who have said, I've heard every sermon, but you haven't heard this one.
2: <laughs> and I was,
0: I was like, what? And so he came by again. And the revival was with Dennis Wright in the Grants Church. Oh,
2: my goodness.
0: And so I I agreed to go. And in my agreement to go, uh, I said I'll go Sunday, man. I'll go Sunday, okay? But you got to go to both services, man. you got to go first. All right, I'll go to both services. Dude, you can't get high either. Like, all right, I know enough about religion. I'm going to fast, all right? I'll fast.
2: So I didn't get
0: high before I went to service. And I walked into the Grants Potter's house. And it was weird. I was like, uh, what is this whole jibbity-jabbity (laughs) tongue-talking stuff? I don't don't get all this. This was never in Mormons. My dad never did this. (laughs) I'm not too sure about all this stuff. But I went to both services. Evangelist Dennis Wright was there. Obviously, I, he was doing the, the revival. So I, he uh, just didn't talk me into going back. I was intrigued enough by everything that was going on, and in, in my whole my whole deal with you know having head knowledge and all that, I, I was just really curious. I was looking for something that I just wasn't sure about, and so I went on Monday night. And Monday night. Mid sermon, I'm going to read it for you verbatim.
2: Oh, wow. You have a record of this?
0: Yes. It was recorded on a CD. Okay. So, and and for I went those back,
2: don't know because Dennis Wright was, uh, you know, he passed away, I don't know, what was it, four or five years ago? Yeah, yeah. It's been, Lisa. If you never had the pleasure of attending a Dennis Wright revival, uh, he was well known for his incredible words of wisdom and knowledge that he would speak into people's lives. So I, I'm I'm anticipating what this word is going to be.
0: Yeah, it is going to blow you away because it literally blew me into God's kingdom. Wow. So mid mid mid-sermon, he's preaching. I'm sitting on the side, kinda of in the corner. And he points me out, walks down off the pulpit. He says, What God told me to tell you is to stay focused on me. Don't worry about that other stuff. Don't worry, because when God created you, he put gifts and talents in you, and you got a lot of stuff working in there that nobody knows about. God said, the reason I put that in you was so I could use that for my glory one day. Today is that day. God gave me a scripture for you. Philippians 4, verses 1 through 9, it talks about united, joyful, and prayerful. You're not an accident. You didn't accidentally stumble in here tonight. You didn't accidentally get saved. God drew you, through the circumstances of your life. I never met you before this week, and I'm telling you this. For you to be where you are tonight is a miracle, Mm. amazing and absolute miracle. Your life has taken so many turns. Your life has been so difficult there is no way that you could have orchestrated it. There is no way you could have planned this. God did this there was, there were times that you should have died. God protected you and you wondered why sometimes rather you wondered why sometimes you say to yourself, Why am I still alive? Because God protected you. And then Dennis started praying. God, you have called this man. You have chosen this man. It is you who have protected him and guarded him and brought him to this place. And it is your hand that got involved. And those times when death was at his front door, You supernaturally stepped in, and the angel of the living God protected him. And I thank you for showing this to him tonight in Jesus' strong and powerful name. Verbatim what he said to me. I was standing there flabbergasted, and I lifted my hands to the Lord. And at that very moment, there was a, a warmth that came over me like I had never felt before in my entire life. I felt like I was being embraced by the Holy Spirit. Oh, and I started weeping, this big biker guy, goatee, long hair, standing there weeping like a little girl. And I couldn't stop crying for days, literally. Wow. I was touched by God. I, I was literally touched by God. There's no way that he couldn't have, could have possibly known the things that he said to me. And I believed at that very moment that God was speaking to me personally. And I accepted him as my personal Lord and Savior, and I have not looked back. That was May third, two 2010.
2: May 3rd 2010 and you were how old?
0: 53
2: 53 years old at the time. So, wow. This is a this is a unique story of a journey that I mean, it's almost like out of nowhere. It wasn't like you were seeking God. It wasn't like you had some conviction to go to church. In fact, you didn't even really want to be there.
0: Exactly.
2: This, this is this is literally God comes and and gets you. <laughs> yes, is, is that accurate?
0: That's very accurate. And so, from I, that day on, I, I've been serving God.
2: <laughs> yeah, like so. I, I'm I'm curious, like what what was immediately what was the thing that that changed that made you understand that now things are different.
0: Well, I believe I, I believe that the first of all that the word was directly from God. Okay? And that was that was where everything at that moment everything changed. Um I, I knew that God was real. It wasn't just something that was written about a long time ago that people talked to you about. It wasn't no longer head knowledge. It became a an honest to God conviction and a a uh the knowledge that the true and living God is exactly that true and living and that he deals with people and that he gets involved in people's lives. And I saw what he did with Justin and I saw what he did in his wife's life. Uh, Her name was Victoria. And uh, there was just every, there was a, it was a dynamic change at that point where people uh didn't want to be around me because I was I I wanted to only talk about God. I still <laughs> still want to talk about God. Matter of fact, yeah. this is the first time I've given this this of an in-depth uh testimony uh for a very long time. I just yeah. you know um the Bi- the Bible says uh what is it um 2 Corinthians 5:17 Therefore if any man be in Christ he is a new creation. Old yeah. things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. And that's the way I feel. I feel like this is so, so removed from who I am today. This is such a, uh, it's, it's a lifetime ago. It was another life, and I, I've been renewed. And and uh, and just uh, you know, the Word of God is so awesome. Um, yeah. So
2: so tell us uh maybe a little more about what was happening in the church there was it was there some spark of revival breaking out
0: um the church is has really just been real steady um it kinda uh, it it, it kind of goes up and down like all churches but i mean uh pastor teshma uh good man uh so I love him you know he's my spiritual father uh dennis wright uh obviously was a key role we became quite good friends after that uh i started attending prescott conference uh every time they had it and and i would go and visit dennis and would you know we'd talk and you know he worked the parking lot there for the longest time and and uh, it was his crew that did all that you know the tent work and all that with pastor aragon and and all them so um yeah it just it just became a, a lifestyle you know it just I, I knew that everything that happened in my life up to that point was was all leading to this point because I mean the word of God said it the the man of God told me and um, and I believe that was God and not it wasn't Dennis Wright speaking to me I believe that absolutely believe that God used Dennis as you know you 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 just mentioned about how he would hand out words like candy you. You come to a service and he would give you words, and and he he eventually gave me another word. I think it was the next year that he came. That uh, within a year I would be married, and I'm like whatever, you know <laughs> I, I wasn't even looking, you know, and uh, and uh, there was this this woman in the church named Sonia happens to be my wife today, and we would uh, I, I I was on fire I asked. You know, obviously, still am. You have to. You have to live on fire for God. You know, if you if you if you remove yourself from the fire, you go out. Uh, so, um, anyways, I would I would go around after the uh, opening prayer and you know go and greet those around. I would try to greet everybody in the church, and there was probably be 125 people in the church at that time. And uh, this one woman, Sonia, every time I would come to her to shake her hand. She had this giant handbag, and she would stick her face in it right about the time I would get to her. And I, and I was like, <laughs> whatever, and i just go on to the next person, you know. Nothing personal, whatever. And um, she tells the story so good. Um, and eventually God started dealing with her. She is this is a good man. He's saved. And uh, that's what she says that, you know, God spoke to her. And so we would wow. start doing this little handshake. She would stop looking for gum in her purse when I showed up, and would do this little <laughs> finger tap thing and that was it and then uh we I started talking to her a little bit and and uh she goes uh I know you're in there praying for a wife, and it's not me <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so it it was uh it was a pretty wild courtship that lasted about uh, five months, if that, and I uh, asked her to marry me, and she couldn't say no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, so just backing up a little bit, so I'm always curious to to hear about people's brand new convert experience, and since you have the uh, the experience of, of being later on in life at 53 years old... Uh, so, the thing about getting older is that you get set in your ways, and so it's you know, uh, is, is there some particular thing about you and your routine and your life that that was completely upended when when Jesus
0: became your savior? Oh, there was many things. Um, I, I stopped getting high. That was the first thing. <laughs> I, I stopped drinking, and. uh I, I still, you know, I was a biker for, you know, 15 years, 18 years, something like that, and uh, so I had a really, a really potty mouth. I, I mean, I would use the f bomb like a and or a the, and uh, that was one of the things that was really hard for me to break. But the the night I got saved uh, that Monday night on May 3rd, uh, 2010, I I went home that night to my RV and took all my drugs and all my alcohol and all my paraphernalia i poured the booze down the sink and um i put all the rest of it in a garbage bag and took it down to the dumpster and threw it in and uh it was i believe that it's that's taking dominion uh one well, you am you're very familiar joe campbell he wrote a book um deliverance to dominion and uh that that is exactly what my lifestyle was. I just I decided that I was going to take dominion. I started regular fasting, and um, I, I uh, Pastor Kesheva was very encouraging. At first, you know, he was a little suspect of me, obviously. Um, but after after a couple of years, I, I was discipling, and and uh, every every time the doors were open in the church, or there was an outreach, or anything like that, I was pouring myself into it. Like the way I poured myself into everything else I'd ever done, uh, I was when when I found something that I was but was into, I was all into it, and um, and that's this is exactly what happened with with Jesus. I am all in with Jesus. Wow! So I hope that answers your question. That that is absolutely incredible,
2: and um, so so you you began a, a discipleship journey, but I, I want to hear about how. Uh, you know, how, how that transition went to putting yourself under under the authority of ministry. I want to hear about how you, you know, started um, started working with people and where this calling to preach came from and, and uh, how you got to the point where you decided to go out. Uh, we're going to save that for our members block. So if you want to hear the rest of this story, uh, we want to encourage you to go ahead and sign up as a premium subscriber. And you're going to get to hear the rest of this incredible life story, Pastor Mark Sperling. So uh, if you are one of our free subscribers, we're so grateful for you. Uh, But we're going to say goodbye at this point. Uh, Please go ahead and uh, hit that subscribe button, and uh, you'll get to hear the rest of this. If you loved what you heard, please share it with somebody. very encouraging and uh, gives us great hope for people uh, who are wayward and wandering. Maybe you can give us a last word for our free subscribers, Pastor Sperling about people who are wandering and lost like you were. Uh, Could you encourage somebody to pray for them in that difficult time?
0: Well, the thing that I would say is never give up hope. Um, Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross is beyond anything that we can possibly comprehend. Um, He did it for you uh, out there listening uh, if you're broken, uh, Jesus Christ came into my life. It's never too late. The only time it becomes too late is when you don't no longer have breath in your lungs. The the salvation of Jesus Christ was bought and paid for. It's a free gift. It's something that that is uh, supernatural, and you can have that. A, God God did such a work in my life. It took me 53 years. I, I my prayer for everybody out there if you're not a born-again believer, is that you come today to the Lord because your life will be changed. And and the part of it that is so important is that God will bring deliverance for you, but you will have to walk in dominion over that deliverance. You're going to have to take control of your life. And I just want to encourage every person out there who's not saved to really consider and pray a simple prayer if if I could please uh, pray with you right now uh just say these words I, this the the prayer itself is not a a prayer to salvation what it is is a prayer to the pathway that leads to Jesus Christ and to your surrendered life and that is where salvation resides in the true believing of who Jesus Christ is so if you're out there pray these words with me it'll put you on the path Dear Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. I believe that you died for my sin and that your blood was shed for me to wash away all of my sin. And I repent today of the sins of my life and believe in you and in the name of Jesus Christ and the being of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for your son, Jesus, come into my heart, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Amen. And we really want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, or or maybe you're coming back to faith as a result of that, you need to get in touch with somebody, and we want to put you in touch with somebody a uh, mm-hmm. pastor that's nearby to you so that you can continue on this journey uh, there's a great website that you can go to to find the local church uh, called cfmmap.org and we'll put a link to that website in the show notes so that uh, if you are not part of a church uh, you should go there and find the one that's closest to you so uh, for our free subscribers we're going to say goodbye thank you so much from Pastor Mark Sperling uh, for those who are premium subscribers we'll be back in just a moment